Life Audio. Good day, everybody. Welcome to Billy and the Goat. Our show is all about overcoming life's challenges, overcoming adversity. Today, I have the honor and privilege to meet, interview, you, have a conversation with my cousin, David Walt Rice. David, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, to be in conversation with you, as always. Oh uh, interesting, interesting to be in this platform, but always a blessing to be, you know, close to you, my big cousin. Amen. Amen. I got a, I got a special treat for, I'm going to read your, your, your biography here. That's okay. pretty. Okay. David Wall Rice is pre- professor of psychology at Morehouse College and principal investigator of the Identity Art and Democracy Lab. The lab is a research space that explores expressions of identity balance through engagement, the exploration of varied contexts and personal narratives. It is a strengths-based lab that works to understand and to elicit behavioral bests. David graduated from Morehouse with a Bachelor of Arts degree in psychology and earned a doctorate in personality psychology from Howard University with a master's degree in journalism from Columbia University and postdoctoral study at Teachers College, Columbia University. David frequently applies his research to cultural criticism and to social impact programming. He was work he has worked with companies including the Coca-Cola Company, the NFL, Polo Bell Ralph Lauren, we'll talk about that, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and the Hez provided commentary for C-SPAN, NPR, CBS News, CNN, MSNBC, and his writing and opinion have appeared in the Washington Post, Vibe Magazine, the Los Angeles Times, and the New York Times Magazine. Among other media outlets, David's writing is also represented in the Cornell Hip Hop Collection as part of the Adler Hip Hop Archive. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. My cousin, you've been busy. Yeah. A little bit. It's, yeah, it's, a little bit. Just fun stuff. Just slightly. Tell me more about the lab. Tell me about the, what, what's the lab about? The lab is a space. It's like, you know, essentially it's a playground, right? So it's a playground for ideas. And it really is very much an extension of fundamental curiosities that I had growing up on how to be. And so, you know, the, the, the instruction and the direction of the mentoring I got within the discipline of psychology has always been rooted in looking at positives. And that's something that's not typically done with respect to black folk in general. And so it's a, it's a space where I bring together students who are genius, where we interrogate uh, popular culture and scholarship and look at how those things intersect in terms of how it is that we understand ourselves. We understand context by which we define ourselves and by which other people define us and, you know, look at innovative ways to explain why black folk are brilliant. And by that example and capturing, looking at how it is that we understand human beings writ large as being beautiful and brilliant and full of potential and opportunity. So, you know, the lab is is something 
that has been rooted at Morehouse College because I've been at Morehouse for the balance of my career. Um, but it really is an amalgam of, you know, the writing that I did when I was younger in the hip hop space. So stuff that I did for The Source and Vibe and, and The Washington Post in terms of reviews of hip hop culture, what hip hop meant to me. I'm not a hip hop uh, scholar by any stretch of the imagination, um, but I am a scholar that's influenced by, you know, the, the cultural space that I grew up in and hip hop mm -hmm. was significant to me. And so those narratives are ones that I saw as being central and important. And what's interesting is looking at how it is that, you know, especially as we're looking at celebrating 50 years of hip hop culture, mm -hmm. how it is that that juggernaut really um, provides in many, in many respects, boundaries and outlines for how it is that we understand popular culture. And in understanding that, how it is that we define and understand people through particular lenses. And so what my interest is, is in looking at expanding the aperture of, of hip hop culture, of black culture, of black folk, and looking at how it is that that might be an inlet to understanding different parts of, uh, of the diaspora. I know I went behind God's back to explain that. No, that's all right, man. That's all right. That's all right. It's good for our listeners to understand and hear. Has it been well-received? Has the lab been well-received? It has been, sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've had a lot of the, stu the students, you know, like I said, it's, it's, been, a, it's been a playground for me and, and not to sound uh, casual in how it is that I engage academics, but it's been a space where we really, we really test and interrogate ideas. I know, know that, you know, I've been at Morehouse, which means that I've been in this lab space for, for 18 years now. And there have been peaks and valleys in terms of what the lab has looked like. You know, when I first got there, you know, I had a good number of students who were part of the lab, you know, maybe 10 years in, I had less students, maybe five or something like that. Then maybe I had no students as I did administrative work and did, you know, looked at some of the archival things that, that our students did. And then you know, went back up to a good solid two or three students. But one of the things that I'm really, really proud of is that last year I was able to publish a book that looked at the work that we'd done in the lab and that my students have done. So I have this construct called uh, identity orchestration, uh, looking at how it is that individuals ebb and flow in terms of how it is that they define and look at their identity, how it is that we can, again, look at that within popular cultural spaces. And so it's an edited volume. So I have a, a lot of pieces in there, but, you know, the thing that's so cool about it is that my students are, are responding to and are talking about identity orchestration and they're doing it from this first person narrative. Um, and, and that's something that's important to, to talk about in terms of what and how the, the, the work that we do is anchored. It's anchored in narratives and in talk and text and posture, what's said and what's left unsaid. And so having those first person accounts in this book, it was really special to me. It's really, really special because, you know, my mentor, uh, whose name is Edmund W. Gordon, he actually turns 102 next Tuesday. And so Professor Gordon was a student of, you know, W.E.B. Du Bois. He was a student of Elaine Locke. He's a student of Howard Thurman. And those folks are, 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 are iconic, obviously in terms of black intelligentsia. And, and so he actually, he's where he, he, he went to Howard university and, you know, through uh, training that I had at Howard with um, a Wade Boykin, who's a, a phenomenal thinker in the psychological space. I was connected to professor and, and, and professor wrote the, he wrote the forward for, for the book. And, you know, I have, you know, my son, Biko uh, wrote the afterword to the book. Oh, wow. uh, my dissertation advisor um, contributed to the book. Yeah. My wife, who is uh, a scholar in, in media studies, uh, contributed to the book. Uh, my mother, actually, I wrote a piece with her that's in the book. Um, and then, you know, these really, really important <clears throat> students who, you know, they're more than just students. They're thinkers who have inspired me in, in meaningful ways and to be able to to, to capture their voices in that text is something that's been remarkable. So um, that book has been well-received and um, I'm really, really proud of it uh, because it, it, it really defines and captures uh, what, the, what the lab has been about and it portends 
you know, kind of uh, the future of what the lab can be about and, you know, and, and how it is that I think about and reimagine what comes next. Congratulations, David. Thank you. So proud of you, brother. Thank you, thank you. Thank so you. this is a great segue into faith. It's, it's remarkable, like where you are now. You're, you're very humble. But where you are now, professionally, academically, you know, as a father, as a son, personally, as a Christian, I'm wondering, how did you get to where you are from yes. here? From yes. here. Okay. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's crazy. Yeah, that's a lot. You, you, right. you're, putting so, a, you're, putting, uh, you're putting a lot on it. So, that's the best. One of my favorite photos, man. It's on my desk. Let me tell you something. If I don't love you, you do not make. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, okay. no, seriously, though, we were close because we were both single, right? Uh, yeah. Only kids. Only children. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. So it was kind of a brotherly love type thing growing up. But seriously, you know, all the way, how do you get from where you were to where you are? And how has faith, has your faith helped you, help guide you? Well, you know, faith, as, as many people will say, um, who have, you know, acknowledged the successes in their lives. And I, I don't, you know, I think that, you know, reading someone's bio is important and, you know, give some perspective, but that certainly isn't a check mark of who that individual is. You know what I'm saying? And so when I talk about successes, I'm not talking about my CV, but I'm taught, I, I mean, the successes, as you well know, Billy, you know, the successes in my life are, are my boys and, you know, my relationship with, with my, with, with my beloved Mickey. And so, you know, the through line of those successes have been faith and, and hopefully good works, right? Uh, and, and that's something sure. that's been taught to me through family. So, you know, you see that picture, that, that picture does so much. Um, and, and of course it's, it's a, it's a, I, I don't know who took that photo. So it's, it's a, it's a wonderful photograph. I right. think it might be mildly, you know, neglectful of me, but I mean, you know, whatever. But you know the thing is that 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 is my big cousin. That is my family. Um, the through line that I have that allows me to be as healthy as I am. So we'll err on the side of me being healthy. That's not to suggest that I don't have you know things that 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 I have to deal with and wrestle with, obviously, right? And that there haven't been unhealthy spates in negotiating to get to you know, the space that I'm out now. And there might be, you know, again, I, I talk about things in terms of peaks and valleys, mm -hmm. but you know, the thing that has sustained me has been faith and family. And, you know, you know, one of the things is that, as you well know, I, I grew up away from, you know, a, a lot of my family and, 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 and the, in DC and, you know, I was with my mom and I was being raised either in Los Angeles or, or in Texas. And that was difficult. It was difficult, but there was a foundation that was there um, in terms of, you know, what my family expectations were of me. Mm -hmm. And those were closely interwoven into purpose that was based in a faith in God and in doing good works. And so you know, my, my going to school and, and kind of the things that are on the CV, those are all result. And th those are all, you know, some folks might, might, might look at them as accolades and as achievements, but really they're just illustrations of tools that should allow for us to do freedom work. Um, because that's, that's the responsibility that, that I have and coming from the family that, that you and I come from, um, you know, we have folks in our family who are highly educated. And so that education um, was not placed at center. So folks could just really feel good about themselves and pat themselves on their backs. Right. That education was so that we could be of service to the community that we find ourselves in. And that is rooted in a faith and trust in God. And what it is that God would have his people do um, for those who are, uh, you know, in the most marginal spaces, 
And then when you are not in those marginal spaces, understand when you're not in those marginal spaces, understanding the responsibilities that you have to give voice to those who don't have the bully pulpit that you might have. So, you know, faith has faith in family and it sounds cliche, you know what I mean? So I, I like, I, I appreciate you having this space to kind of unpack these things. Because, you know, you can say space and space, I mean, excuse me, um, faith and family sustain me. Well, you know, how, you know, it was, does that mean exactly. that stuff was really, really easy? No, it means, you know, it, it means that through those things that were not easy, uh, you were able to lean into people that knew who you were about and what it is that you needed to live up to. You know, one story that I tell uh, a lot, I've, you know, to, to when I'm teaching, you know, and I've told to my boys, and, and you've known this before, you know, you were, you were always kind of that, that gold standard for being a young black male, right? And so when I came to D.C. to be around you, and, you know, I, I remember one particular time you were taking me to the movies, and I was just cursing and doing all this kind of stuff, really just posturing, trying to be cool. Right. And I remember... You said to me, and it was nobody else was around. So it was like, I remember you said to me, and you didn't, you weren't trying to embarrass me or anything like that. And you could have, I mean, because you did embarrass me a lot. But, you know, one of the things that you said to me, seriously, you, you just said simply, you're like, you don't have to do that with me. And I get chills thinking about that right now because it showed a type of maturity that you had and a type of loving kindness that you had as well. And you didn't, you know, you didn't play me out. You weren't like, dude, you're a sucker. And, you know, what are you talking about? Why are you currently, what? You didn't even do all that. You were like, you don't have to do that with me. And my thing was, if I didn't do that, if I didn't have to do that with you, the posturing, then I didn't have to do that with anybody else. You know what I mean? And I think that that's the type of example that I had from my family. I made, look, man. When I was in high school, I made horrible grades. I mean, horrible grades. Any, I, I looked at my transcript like maybe a year and a half ago and, you know, Fs, I had to repeat courses. You know, I, you know, I, I was disciplined heavily in school, but it was, and, I, and I, I've written this before, it was almost my parents' fault because, you know, as long as I was, as long as I was okay in my parents' eyes, what anybody else said didn't matter. It, you know, and, and, and right, it wasn't, right. it wasn't like my folks were like, look, you know, just, you don't have to achieve in school. It was, it was like, look, you got to lock in. Obviously you're smart. Anybody who talks to you knows that you have the tools to do well in school. You're going to have to do well in school eventually. So if you're not going to do it now, there's going to be a price to pay. You know what I mean? And, and, and you're going to be able to pay the price. So they never, my family never hung me out there. But they always knew the context that I was operating in. So in Texas, it was like super racist, you know, where I got in fights all the time. People were calling me nigga. And I mean, I was, right. you know, I was I was fighting all of the time, like all of the time, you know. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to say I was fighting and I was handling everybody. Now, I, I, I had my good share of wins, but I took right. L's, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> but, me my, but, my, but my family... You know, my mom and my dad, and even though my folks were divorced and all that kind of stuff, my dad was always there. One of the things that I said is that, you know, my, my father wasn't there the way that I, I wanted him to be. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But he was always there the way that I needed for him to be. And I didn't realize that until I got older. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, because he was never, he was never absent. Um, and, and he and my mother always had this really, really uh, great friendship. And they always had each other's backs. There was not, there was never me talking on the phone to my dad, you know, ratting my mom out about something and then, you know, playing know. one side Ooh. against the other. They were like, what are you crazy? You know I what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I only did it one time. Once. Yeah. They were like, <laughs> they were like, there's, there's, there's no sense of that. So, you know, the thing for me is I had that support from, from you. So, you know, I, I that example that I gave there, that, mm -hmm. that, that really was, was what I got from, from other family members as well. So even though I might not have done well academically in school, there was always an awareness that I had the capacity. And so when ways were made for me to go to Morehouse, uh, I made sure that I, uh, 
I, I didn't I didn't take for granted or, or uh, try not to be profane in how I explained it. Now, mm-hmm. I, I did not take advantage of that opportunity, you know. But even then, I, I, I really, you know, coasted on my ability to kind of, I can write. So I know I can write. So I did that mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. But I really didn't get serious about academics until I knew I wanted to go to Columbia for journalism school. And then I locked in my year and a half of school, like, you know, was on the honor roll, got 4.0 GPA and all that kind of stuff. And it's crazy because my GPA was still like a 2.9. So it was like, man, you were super average until, you know, you had to prove something. And then when you're in graduate school, you know, you just kind of do well. And, And the thing is for psychology, I was interested and I, I was always thoughtful about it. And, you know, my thing was, how is it that I can use my writing, my thinking, my degree uh, to position, you know, voices for people who are, are very much like me, but, but who, who might not have uh, the resources. So, so how, do you, how do you stand in the gap for that part of your community? And and I never, I, you know, I'm always intentional about using language because I never want uh, for different parts of our community to feel other. You know, I don't believe mm-hmm. in this kind mm-hmm. of exclusive exceptionalism because I went to Morehouse or because I have an Ivy League degree or because, because you know, um, that I'm not like them. I'm, I mean, they, we are all interconnected. You know what I'm yeah. saying? And so yeah. my thing is, how is, how is it that I am? Uh, God's tool in terms of being a resource for those folks who are, who are very, who, who are me, you know what I mean? Well, let me tell you this. You are not alone academically. It may mean all the sense in the world, but I want to share this with you. Okay. Academically, like when I got college, I actually was junior college. I went to the Naval Academy preparatory school before I went to the Naval Academy. Out of one, four, <laughs> the first semester and then halfway, we, it was trimesters. The first trimester, I had a 1.4. Halfway through the second trimester, I had a 1.4. And I went to an academic board, and they said, Boop. you're out. So you can either, when you get kicked out, you can either, you said you got one or two choices. Either you stay and prove yourself by the end of the semester, trimester, or you go home. And guess who I was not going home to? Yeah, I know that's right. Angie, no. <laughs> yeah. So I figured it out. So let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Who was your, was there a go-to growing up? You know, when you, when you kid, teenager, young adult, and you got into some stuff, I know, you, you know, you had your faith and I don't know, I don't know how long, how early your faith journey early. began. I was always but, early, 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 early. I mean, you know, I was right. always, I was in, I mean, I was in church since I'm a little guy, Grace United Methodist Church, when we mm-hmm. went to, when I moved from Los Angeles to to texas um our family was the founder of grace united methodist church yeah, and so yeah. i was i was in the choir <laughs> i was i think I, I think i was the president of like the youth group if not the vice president or something like that but mm-hmm. you know that that's that's where you know i was close and and where i came up with other kids who were who were like-minded you know what i mean so mm-hmm. so i was you know i mean and, i mean i was a church kid for some time and of course both of our mothers are you know, right. ministers, as as Jean would say, close to the cross. So that's but always you, been there. But when you got in your head about stuff, problem, who'd you go to? Mom? Cousin Brendan? Yeah, man. It sounds quite yeah. yeah, I mean it was my mom. Yeah, I, I, I could too. I could always I could always count on her. You know what I mean? So and the thing was I wasn't I wasn't I wasn't fearful of any kind of judgment because, you know, the, the the fundamental is that I was well loved and that I was I, I did not need to be ashamed of myself my person you know mm-hmm. what I mean mm-hmm. the behavior might have been questioned but but you know it. my person was never so so you know I always had a relationship with my mom where I could I could talk to her about stuff you know no matter and, and it was nothing that was that was too that and, and so that's I mean may, this might be you know what kind of swear I was too. There was nothing that was so gigantic that I couldn't talk to her about it. You know what I mean? Um, there were some things I didn't need to talk to her about. So I mean, it's not like I talked to her about everything. But if there was if there was something going down, you know, and she said this, my father said it too. 
you got to talk to us. And this is the kind of stuff that I tell my boys now. You know, I have a 15-year-old and an 8-year-old, and I communicate this highly with them both. Um, you always want to make sure I know what's going on. So between me and mommy, you you got to make sure that we know because we we got you no matter what, you know. Is it? So I mean, you know, we will I mean, I'll I'll walk through house fire for you, you know. And so, um, you know, those are kind of things that were communicated to me by my parents. So I'm very very blessed and for uh, for that. And then I had, you know, I was very very close, you know, my grandmother. Ella Rice on my father's side, very, very close to her and my grandfather. And I was, I was interestingly close to Evelyn Wall. And so my grandma is actually going to turn 100 at the end. Of, well, I mean, she's passed, but we'll yeah. celebrate her 100th birthday. Right. And so, you know, I was, I was able to talk to, to her, you know, because the fan, again, man, the, the, the family is never, they, they're never going to sell you out. I mean, mine, yeah, my family yeah, was never, yeah. they, yeah. they could fuss at me. They could say all that kind of stuff. I mean, and I, I think about lessons that I've learned from, you know, Uncle Randall and, you, you know, and I mean, everybody, I can, I can think of uh, Anike, you know, was, was, was at Feldman when I was at Morehouse and, mm. you know, Jabari actually was at, it was very, very interesting because Jabari was actually at Howard when I was in graduate school. So I would see him in the library and stuff like that. And there was always this kind of, this, this, this interconnectedness of accountability. You know what I mean? And so, mm-hmm. you know, with Anike, the thing I hated is that Anike is a little older and I wanted to be there. He has some bad friends, boy, I tell you what. Anyway, and I, I really wanted her, you know, but she, she like looked out, you know what I mean? She was like, yeah, my baby cousin, yeah. come over here. What's going on? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Do I need to put yeah. $5 dollars in your pocket? All that kind of stuff. And then it was like, you're not going to be like that. You know, why are you hanging out with it? You know, there was always that kind of check. And right. so, you know, if I couldn't go to my mom about something, that through line of familial accountability was able to be found somewhere else. So, you know, I wasn't, when, I, when I'd come during the summers, and stay with Jeannie and whatever summer programs she had, you know, me associated with and stuff like that. There was going to be no nonsense. And she loved me hard, but she loved me. You know, when I was right. with, with Randall at Trans Africa, yep. he loved me hard, but he hard. loved me. And it was all about accountability, you know, with, with right. Max. It was the same type of thing with, with Jewel, you know what I mean? And those were the folks who were with, with Randy, you know what I mean? It was Scotty. Scott, and yeah. so, again, it was it was all of this. Yeah, well, you're going to do that. I mean, these were all folks who were, for me, mm-hmm. you know, they were, they were my family, but they were also tremendous role models. And there were people that I could look to in certain effects to, to, to look up to. Right. So, I mean, I remember Randy being at your graduation from Langdon, Landon, from Landon, and, you know, him saying, that's what you want to be like. You want to graduate like your country. I mean, I remember him having that conversation with me. I could you hear him I mean? saying that. I could yeah. hear him. Because he'd always, he'd he, always talk, he, he's a coach or something. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and you know, and, you know he's, scared, and he's scared the hell out of his shoes. Right. Like, you want to be like that. Yes. I hear you doing this in school right now. You need to be like, and I'm like, God, dog. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm good. I mean, because I don't want to answer. Yeah. I don't, I, you know, whatever knuckleheads might have been giving me a hard time. You know, in school or mm-hmm. whatever, administrators or anything like that, whatever, I could bear that. I could not bear disappointing or yeah. not living up to, um, not, not, not the image, because I want to be very, very clear, not the image of folks in our family, but accountability and expectations that, that our family had. You didn't want to let folks down on that. Because I could be, look, man, I could be a carpenter. Jesus was a carpenter. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it. But it was like, how are you going to make sure that you're building for people who are, you know, less fortunate than you? You know what I mean? So, so for me, it was as long as I could, is, is I could always go to my mom and I always knew that that through line of family was there to help me be accountable in my, you know, in, in my, in my, I don't want to, I don't want to sound melodramatic. I was going to say in my darkest times, but in those times where I wasn't, you know, feeling fully who I was, I could, right. I could, I could lean into, into family. And it, and it might've, it might've taken something, you know, I might've felt like I need to do this myself and all this kind of jazz, but, mm-hmm. you know, invariably, you, you know, family and faith 
are the, the folks that held me up. That's it. Segway. You mentioned your... Have you heard this war? We tend to... We tend to be attracted to women like our mom. Would you, would you agree? Because you know what I want to talk about? Yeah, y yes. And, I mean, and, my mom And faith-wise, faith and faith-wise, too. I mean, YouTube, you yeah. Yeah, I, you know, as you were saying, my mom would say, of course, Vicky is beautiful, and she's so sweet, and all that kind of So my mom would say, you know, you better... Right. But yeah, I mean, you know, the thing is that, you know, the thing that I knew about my mom and it is was that she was good and she was right. You know what I mean? She was a good and right person. And I, I think that, you know, the examples of my mother and my grandma certainly in who it is that, you know, I'd spend the rest of my life with. So, you know, Mickey... In terms of uh, Mickey, might be demonstratively the kindest person I've ever met, right? And I used to think that I, that, you know, I, I'd always kind of held my grandmother in that regard. God, uh, but yo, I saw her go off once. I was like, yo, it's <laughs> like, <laughs> but that's and that's not to say you know anything disparaging about my grandmother, anything like that, but. You know, just um, she's a beautiful uh, and, uh, and and um, I'm very blessed that you know, quite honestly, she puts up with me mm -hmm. um, and and that we're able to negotiate a, a, a life together. But that stuff's not easy, you know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. we we are we are both very into um, we both have ideas of how it is that we need to do right in the world, and that that. that that demands time and focus that is not always in one another's space. And mm -hmm. so, you know, kind of negotiating that and, and, and giving one another, uh, that's, that's challenging. I mean, Mick and I have, we just celebrated. Keep looking. You better not get the number wrong. So, so 19, we just celebrated 19 years of being married. And we were together 10 years ahead of that. So, you know, Mickey and I have been together for 29 years. Uh, so 29 years does not come without work and effort. And, um, and, and, and Mickey is the type of beautiful that is committed to that work with me. You know? Congratulations. And I, and I hope, and I hope I demonstrate, you know, as I mature and grow even more that I, that I am committed to, to the work that she that she is uh, attached herself to as well. Well, a big part of that success, I'm sure you'd agree that you have to be equally yoked. And you are. Clearly, she's in charge, which, um, <laughs> I like to be about that, man. No, 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 I mean, I don't, I don't deny it. I mean, Mickey, you know, the thing about Mick, uh, I, I have, I, 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 I can imagine what I would be like if Mickey were not in my life. And that was uh, a much smaller, per um, and, 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 and I don't mean that in terms of, uh, yeah, I, I don't mean that in terms, I don't know, insignificant or heady. I don't mean it. I don't mean it in that way, but I mean, you know, the thing that, that me, uh, affords me, uh, an opportunity to take chances uh, outside of my, my comfort, mm -hmm. no. And really? so there, th th that's, that's, that's what she affords, affords me, you know, she, she kind of pushes me. And so having that kind of, uh, person who, who, who demonstrates that confidence in you mm -hmm. and kind of, kind of pushing you forward and kind of, and, and holding you up, that's, that's a, that's a big deal. And I, that's and I think deal. that, you know, those things aren't often articulated and said, you know what I mean? But in thinking about her. She's, she's a great, um, she's a, uh, a great, you know, wife, but she's just a fantastic and beautiful and unparalleled person, you know, having somebody like that, you get to call when you feel like, yo, this, this stuff is, doesn't seem to be clicking the way it is, mm -hmm. no matter what, whether it's at work or whether, you know, 
it's on, you know, a workout that your cousin has you do where you're like, God, dog, I thought I was strong. <laughs> nah, but, it's, know, only, it's only nine minutes. Yeah, you tell me about it. Or, 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 you know, the stuff with the kids. You know, a lot of times, you know, it's it's interesting. And the boys, you know, I, I want to make sure that they're able to to withstand and to influence this world that we're in. Okay. And I and I know that I I hope and pray they will, um. But but I, I but I think but I think they I think they will be because uh you know family and uh and faith they they have that they have that through line as well. And Mickey's family is phenomenal. You know, one of the things that I that I wanted because I grew up away from family is I wanted to be attached to family in a meaningful way. And, you know, having two boys is amazing because I get to see what it would be like if you and I lived in the same house, you know, what would it be like if I had a brother, you know what I mean? And, um, you know, seeing them grow up is, is, is amazing. And then seeing how it is that they are connected to community. So how they're community, how, how they're, how they're connected to their, their godparents. We're very, very fortunate where we live in this kind of this, this old school neighborhood where, literally up the street is Bigos is you know god family and i mean i'm pointing like up the street like literally. five houses down yeah, yeah. and yeah. you know there are three guys who were in my freshman dorm with me whose kids i know and you know so 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 there's that but then you know he's able to go to his godfather's house in, in dc and spend time and then his uncle who's in in Maryland, and then he can you know, go to see his aunt Thomas, and then he can visit his aunt. They, I'm talking about Biko because he's old. Then he can go to Lockton. He just has he has all kinds of resources. And one of the things that's really, really awesome to me, he's he's a he's a great and he's a good kid. But you know, uh, Randall and Hazel and, and uh, his impression on them. You know what I mean? Like I remember Randall was for me. Randall, of course, is is He's, I call him Uncle Randall. Randall is my first cousin once removed, right? So mm-hmm. Randall and my mom are uh, are first cousins the same way that he's, he's, my mom is related to uh, Janie. And I just call him Uncle. I'm not going to go into all that, but right, right, right. Randall was uh, was a bar. You know what I'm saying? So he was a moral, uh, uh, a mentor bar. Anyway, I remember when we had all we all went to go and spend time with with family in St. Kitts with him at his invitation. Uh, you know, Biko was a little guy, man. He was he must have been like eight years old, seven or eight years old. And after all, you know, maybe Randall called up, Randall and Hazel called on the telephone. You hear Randall and his boy voice, David, how are you? It's like, oh snap. <laughs> like, oh Randall's calling. What's going on? Hey, what's going on? Hey, what you know, any research? Is this something you want? He's like, Yeah, where's Biko? You know what's up to me? He didn't want to be at all. So, so I was like, he's right here. Hold on. I was like, he's eight. What are you talking about? And so I gave the phone to Biko, and I'm sitting there like staring at his face, like, what's going on? And so he got off the phone, and they got off the phone. I think, and Hazel must have been on the phone too. And they were telling how telling Biko how proud they were of him because he had written kind of a, a thank you letter for having oh, wow. gone to visit them right, and was right. just explaining what he was doing in school and all that. And so they were saying how proud they were and what a good guy he was and all that. And so having that connection was good, but he was like, the reason he, that happened was because Mickey was like my mother. So going back to, you know, kind of how people are connected, like you better write a thank you letter. You know, there are people did all this stuff for you. You better, you know, you better oh, yeah. write that letter and put it in the mail. That's and it. so, you know, again, looking at what you what you're supposed to do, how you're supposed to treat people, even people that you know are are, are your family and loved ones. How do you treat them with respect? How do you ensure that faith is a through line and all those kinds of things? Those things are all you know bound up in 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 how it is that I hope my kids are coming up, and mm-hmm. and and how it is that you know I I married well. One of the things that Mickey's dad said, and he ain't never lied. When we, when he gave a toast after we got married, he said, you know, David, you know, I love you. You're great. And all that kind of stuff. But brother, you want to know on the lot. He was right. He That's was right. right. 
Oh, you got two sons. Yeah. Dementia. Biko, yeah, so there's there's Biko and Stokely. So Stokely is the is the younger one and mm-hmm. Biko's the old guy. And um Stokely is quite the first um he mm-hmm. is he is an amazing you, you know, one of the things that, that was interesting around COVID was you know, that was a difficult time, obviously, for ever. He allowed us to get through COVID, the entire family. Because I remember every morning we got up, you'd get up and you say, Stokely, how are you doing? He's like, great. This is the best day ever. That's how he woke up every morning for wow. two years. Every, like, nonstop. And he meant it. It wasn't, he wasn't pretending, right? Um, but beyond that, he's just a, a, a great mind. He's a easily um, creative thing. And, you know, I think about the, I, I think about Beakley. Um, I've written about them before and, um, you know, Biko, uh, more subversively resistant. And so you could say something to Biko, he'd be like, all right. And he'd go and just write his protest, turn his protest in and just walk out. Right. And then and somebody, they'd be like, ah, dog, I thought he was part of the program. And it was like, um, <laughs> and Stokely is more kind of, is not more, is more in your face. So if they say, you know, this is what's going on, Stokely would be like, that's not what's going on. I don't believe in that. Explain that to me. And it's very, very interesting how at a young age, I'm sure because of the vocabulary that uh, that Biko had, Stokely is one who's um, authority. Biko has always been one who is about doing the right. Um, and, and Biko doesn't do a lot of explaining around how it is that something is wrong. He just says, this isn't right. And... Nice. will explain why it is that, you know, he's pushing against this wrong. What Biko, what, what Stokely will do is still say, this is the wrong thing. Listen, t- why would you even do this? This is crazy. Don't you understand A, B, and C? Mm-hmm. So looking at them as brothers is really, really interesting in terms of, hey, uh, have the capacity to have impact and, and how it is that I've seen Biko have impact and, and how it is that it's interesting Looking at quickly growing up, uh, the thing that I say with respect to him and in understanding how it is that black boys in particular are embraced or, or who are maligned, the uh, educational system of the United States of America is, you know, making sure that he is not broken, right? Making sure that his spirit is not broken. And that, that, that's a test because, you know, you, you got to make sure he's respectful. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? You got to make right. sure yeah. you can't, yeah. you can't can go acting but... crazy. Yeah. Sure. And so, you know, how, how is it that you do that and, you know, afford latitude, but also make sure that you, you have the context that are around him in check so that they're nah, you, you, you can't say that to him, you know, right. I, I'll take care of that stuff. But you, he, he's asking the right question. You know what I mean? Right. Or. You know, we certainly can dis so so, you know, they're uh, great souls that I'm that I'm fortunate to to be uh, some influence in shepherding through a very young young year. Well clearly both of them it's a nice cross section of the mama and their daddy. Because yeah. as you're describing, both of them Mickey Yeah, yeah. All the all all the all the I, all the good stuff I really attribute to her, the patience, the kindness, they're both calm. So we're, we're, we're blessed. We're you very, very well, blessed. Very God bless you. Thank you. Yeah, we're... You and Stokely are pretty busy. Excuse me. Uh, you and Mickey are pretty busy. Travel quite a bit. Yeah. Is it hard to maintain? Is it, is it challenges to maintain that career fan balance? Yeah. Balance. And you're doing you and you're doing it. You still yeah, it ain't easy. No, no, I mean it it is the How do you faith in it? Uh you know, I it you know, you, you have to look at it it takes some introspection. So, you know, the thing is your balance is how it is that you understand yourself fitting in and how other people fit in around 
you know, there's a, there's a lot of travel that, 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 um, there, there, there's a lot of stuff we do with the boys that, mm -hmm. you know, that, that wasn't done with me. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, you know, taking them to AAU games, going to swim practice, swim, mm -hmm. got a, that I have to go to for so and when I say have to go to right now during the summer, it's a little bit easy. And, mm -hmm. uh, but, but it, and I don't, I don't want it to sound like a burden, but it still is work. You know what I mean? So I have to go to those things because I have to show up for them. Yeah. And, right. and I, and I have to travel to get some of the work that I need to do done. And that's, 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 that's demanding on the kids. I have yeah. to make sure they understand that, but that the work that I'm doing requires for me to to go and be away, and and that's the same for for Mick as well. Um, it can be more difficult for her not to mansplain anything, but it can be more difficult because there are all these social expectations for what it is that women are supposed to do, quote unquote. Um, right. And I think that even, you know, in my uh, spaces and pockets, I probably fell into those tropes or slipped into those tropes, not consciously, but just kind of thinking about, you know, well, well, you know, I'm going, I got to go do this. And why isn't, you know, and you got to be like, you know, talk about being equally yoked and what responsibilities are equally time. Um, and then how it is that some things aren't going to be equal. I went to um, to South Africa a couple of weeks ago, right? And I I had the chance to sit down with this uh, this white who was just a gift. It was a gift to be able to sit with him, mm -hmm. who had who had worked with Madiba, who had worked with Nelson Mandela for some time, and he was he talked about the um uh of of, of memory work and of dialogue work, memory and dialogue work. So those are, those are takeaways that I, that I thought were, were, um, but one of the things that he said, and I wrote a book, I wrote, a, it, it's, I forgot the right, balance advancing identity theory by looking at young boys. Um, and one of the things that he said, not in direction to this book, but in general, he had said, I don't believe in balance. He said, I don't believe that there's kind of this equal, you know, give and take. He said, I believe in rhythm. I was like, yeah. And he was like, you know, I believe in, you know, you got to figure out where some people have some beats yeah. and some people have others. I was like, oh, man, I love that. Wow. I love that. Where there's not necessarily um, equal contributions oh. to family. Meaning that, you know, Mickey has strengths that I will never have, yes. you know? Um, and so how is it that she will visit those strengths on what our family looks like and how does it lift me up in meaningful ways? Like I said, if Mickey oh. weren't in my life, I think I would be smaller. Um, but with her, with her presence, I think I have the courage to be larger than I might have been in a regular space. She You're gives right. that to the boys also. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. She gives that to the, to the boys also. And so, you know, in her doing that, how was she able to, how, how, how is, what, what are the things that I'm, responsible for giving and, and mm -hmm. pushing forward and making mm -hmm. center for, for the family or her as well. I hope I, I feel like I'm rambling here. I hope I'm no, making sense. No, you're not sense, rambling. Bro. You're making all kinds of sense, brother. A lot of, I really hope I'm making, never talk about, uh, you know, Mickey in public. Um, yes. Like I said, it's taking a life of its own. Um, thank you for sharing that about your family. Of course. Yeah. Going outside the family, you've had a number of, as I read earlier, Coca-Cola Company, NFL, Robert Red, which was a, you want to talk about that? that? That's fascinating, man. Great opportunity for Morehouse, for you. Yeah, the, 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 the Red thing came about uh, through Morehouse. Um, there is, uh, I'm trying to see, this is the, the book I have. Let's see. There is, so the, the Ralph Lauren campaign is a campaign uh, uh, because there is a, a guy named James Jeter who graduated from Morehouse College. This is, this is like the book, mm -hmm. like the, the, a book of, of the campaign. Um, 
James Jeter Jeter is a guy who graduated from Morehouse College. Um, and this convening at Morehouse uh, called Crown Forum. And Crown Forum is essentially an evolution of chapel after college. And so uh, James Jeter had called me and he said, during COVID, one of the things that we did is instead of meeting in person, what I did is I got on uh, video conversations mm-hmm. with with friends of mine <laughs> and, you know, and, and, and we had conversations of at we would in front of uh, these young scholars at Morehouse to, to um, James Jeter, it, you know, works and worked at, at, at and um, he had said, look, we have this, this line that's getting ready to come out. That's, you know, based on the, of, uh, of historically black colleges and universities around the 50s era uh, and, and looking at that kind of collegiate style. And essentially what happened is, you know, we're, we, we've, we've come and realized three years since George Floyd was murdered. And during that, that summer of reckoning, uh, when, he was, when he was murdered, of course, we had all of these corporations and white folks in positions of authority, these kind of... Uh, you know, epiphanies. Oh, well, oh, racism exists in the world. Mm-hmm. And so happened at, um, at Ralph Lauren. And there's a great article in the Washington Post that came out around the time that the, that the, uh, that the campaign started. But essentially, James was getting ready to leave Ralph Lauren because he was like, I don't see myself. You know, I've, I've worked mm-hmm. at Ralph Lauren. He's, he's a kid who uh-huh. grew up yeah. in D.C. I, I want to say he went to school without walls. I hope I'm not erroneously attributing an institution to him but you know he grew up in dc went to when and worked in the polo store in george and um you know went to morehouse and you know interned at polo and all that kind of stuff and one of the things he said he was like you know i've I've been at polo for all these many years and i've never seen black folks centered the way they should be and so he actually told this talk about position of speaking truth to power he told this to ralph loren Ralph Laura was like, okay, well, what kind of ideas do you have? And he's like, oh, I got some ideas. And so he developed, and it, I, I mean, I remember he called me, he called me some fall month. I don't remember what it was right before it came out. And he was like, can I just talk to you for like five minutes? And I was like, I really don't have the time. I mean, you know, it's after hours, but I can give you five minutes, my guy. And um, uh, a Zoom call. And then he showed me all of these images. And I was like, oh my gosh. So I was like, this is incredible. So he showed me this, he showed me that, he showed me this and that. I was like, my guy, whatever I can do to be supportive, let me know. And he said, basically, I need you to just kind of interrogate this because I want for, you know, I, I, I think this is really important is what he said, but I, I want to make sure that I'm, I, I'm not blindly going into it. I want an objective voice to kind of, you know, counterbalance it. And I said, yeah, I said, well, if I do that, I said, I'm going to ask some ideas around, you know, white supremacy and privileged and what does it look like around respectability and being in suits and all this kind of stuff. He's like, that's exactly what I need. There you go. And so he said, can you help yeah. me produce this kind of a two minute clip? And I said, yeah, I said, sure. I helped him. I got some folks together for uh, them to film. I did the interviews. And so mm-hmm. there was a mini documentary that blue blossomed from three minutes into a 30 minute like mini doc that they had which is just really really great i mean i i love that so i got to you know check the box for a producer for that um mm-hmm. and then they had this thing this yearbook compendium for the line that came out so i was a, a contributing editor and um and then there was the the campaign and uh i was able to participate you know i was i was happy i, I was i was reluctant because I was like, ah, I don't really, I'm, you know, I, I am an academic. I really am not, you know, you know, trying to really do that. But then there's a part of me that's like, oh man, this would be great fun. And so, um, you know, they had me in the campaign. It was just kind of, it was, it was dope. It was, it was neat, but it was, it was neat because it was fun. Um, mm-hmm. and, and kind of is an extension of the work that I do with respect to the lab, right? You know, it, it kind of is a playground for being able to, to do and to to look at innovative ideas and to look at how it is that something is seemingly significant uh, as as a 
as a line and is being represented a line can can mm. make a difference. You know what mm. I mean? And mm. so, you know, I'm really proud to be connected to it because I'm so proud of James Jeter and the work that he did. I mean, he's just it's awesome that this young man what is that um his interest in his in his discipline and his focus, mm -hmm. he was able to make a social impact and is make able to make a voice. And so that's something that, you know, lives forever on on Ralph Lauren's site. The stuff is there now. And it was the first in the step of 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 campaigns that they're gonna do. So I know they're gonna do it uh if if not with Spellman and Morehouse again, they'll do well, it with other HBCUs. I'm glad you were an integral part of this whole process, man. That's fantastic. Yeah, it was a pleasure. James, James, uh, to, 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 to James goes all of, you know, the, 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 the credit because mm -hmm. he really put people that, um, were not about ego. And so that was kind of cool. They weren't about the ego because it is dope. I mean, it's, it's cool. People have posters and all this kind of stuff that are, right. that are up. And so people could get consumed by that. It was about, um, you know, how is it that you could amplify the successes and the import of historically black colleges and universities through this lens of Morehouse and Spellman? So, you know, he's such a good, humble guy. And it was just so cool to see uh, how he was celebrated and how he mm -hmm. was lifted up. And, uh, you know, on the night that they, that there was a, we did this thing mm -hmm. in, in New York and it was just a, a blessing to be able to meet his, his mom and his, uh, and his sister and uh, and to see how it is that he was really angered. So he, he he served for me as a as as a role model. I mean, even though he's a younger cat, looking at the work that he does and how he moves the world is really dope. And to be a you know a homeboy for him to be from DC was really kind right. of cool to be able yeah. to look at also. Absolutely. We're gonna wrap up in a minute, but I want sure. a couple things on what you did. I see you over there writing notes and stuff. I know you're <laughs> one. Is your is your experience, has your experience with the NFL been impactful? And two, what nuggets would you share with our audience to help them navigate? So NFL work has started um at Morehouse. We had to do some trainings with uh with athletes. And so that mm -hmm. was consequent of Kaepernick having taken a knee. Uh, mm -hmm. they had folks mm -hmm. come to the college and I was fortunate to be in the room to talk about how we should do, how, how we should, could do some trainings uh, through the college. So, so we've been able to do that and that's been impactful and cool and really interesting to look at how it is that athletes do use their, their platforms. I think that so often, mm -hmm. you know, folks kind of skate over it and say they make so much money in this, that, and the third. But if you look at how athletes do use their platform, good works, um, I've been able to see athletes do it really awarding and um, instructional for me in my work and how it is that I want to make sure that I need to impact, hopefully. Um, so it's been good. Uh, the nuggets that I would encourage folks to take away here, I, I, you know, if anybody's listening to you, Billy, I think that they're, you know what I mean? Um, one of the things that you've always been is a really person. You know, you, you've been a reflection of the best parts of, of of the people who I think come into your life in your uh in your coaching your um in your billy bodying I think that essentially what we're talking Navo uh, of course I think what we're really really talking about is what your ministry is and so your ministry is one that where they're at um in a, a critical base of where they're at in terms of their physicality and how they feel comfortable mm -hmm. um and and what it is that their body can do for them in a moment that allows for them to open up and 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 be reified any different other ways. Um, so the thing I would encourage to do is to uh, trust a process, right, that centers your best self and that uh, considers the beautiful person that you are. I think that anything less than that... Um, needs to be really held up. I mean, I think that so often, you know, the expectation and what society suggests to us is that we need to look at where it is that there are wrongs in our space and in what we're doing. But I'm really, really interested and think it's much more important to look at what's going right and how is it that even in wrong spaces, you can be made stronger and more whole through the lesson. 
Um, you know, one of the things that was said to me a long time ago, this is from a business person. They were like, look, you know, such a high percent of businesses fail just straight up and down. Mm -hmm. You don't look at, and this is what they were telling me as I was talking about assets. They were like, oh, okay. I understand because I'm a business person. So, you know, most businesses fail, right? Mm -hmm. But I don't study the failed businesses. I need to know about it, right. but I don't study the failed businesses. I study the success models and figure out how it is that we can innovate around successes. And so I think that, you know, one of the things that, that I hope people away from you, um, from your ministry, from your messaging, and perhaps what folks can lean into in their lives are, you know, what are the blessings that they have? What are the strengths that they have? And what is the genius and the brilliance that they have? What's the list that they have? Um, and how do they amplify that? And how do they scale it in such a way to where they're not only happy themselves, but they can mm -hmm. serve as beacon to other people? Man, I'm so proud of you. Thanks. Yeah. Proud of you. You're so humble. But you, I appreciate you taking the time today talk about all you've done all that you're doing your family fantastic cousin thank you i love you i wouldn't have spent this much you, time brother. talking this deep after you. <laughs> allow me to take a moment to thank the team at life audio for their partnership with us on the podcast if you go to lifeaudio.com you will find dozens other faith-centered podcasts in their network they've got shows about prayer bible study parenting and much, much more. Hey there, it's Carly Marcoulier, your host of Therapy and Theology, a weekly podcast that explores popular topics and questions related to faith, feelings, and spiritual formation. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.